Well, last Sunday, uh, I mentioned a, a Christmas special called Shrek the Halls, and I talked about how hard it is to live in a culture that is replacing the Christmas story that's been handed down through time since the birth of Christ with stories that have very little depth or meaning compared to the one true story of Christmas. Well, I was doing some reading this past week, and I, and I stumbled across this uh, piece that was written by an anonymous author, and it's his version of the, the same story that Shrek referred to as the Christmas story. He, he puts things back into perspective, and this is what he wrote. "'Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come in there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he had said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love he gathered to take to his father above. With those who were ready, he rose without sound while all of the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and had thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is soon drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful season that you uh, have instituted for us, this opportunity to pause and reflect on this incredible story, the story of your son coming to earth, taking on the form of a baby, to live among us, to walk the same paths we walk, to guide us through this life because he understands us, above all, to rescue us, to save us. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation and for how the Christmas story already points to it. Um, bless us now as we open up your word together, go back into the story of Christmas, um, give it fresh new meaning to us and fresh new energy as we reflect again on this incredible, epic adventure. Bless the remainder of our time here together. Thank you that we have the freedom to come to you and praise you. We do all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are a lot of Christmas stories out there. Some of them are quite good. Um, some of them even have great messages in them. Some of them even still dare to mention Jesus. Some go out of the way to push their creator's agendas. Mostly they're created to entertain, to make us feel good about ourselves and about life. But not one of the stories out there can match the beauty and grandeur of the one true story of Christmas. And so today we continue in this series that we're calling simply The Story of Christmas, 
It's a story that, you, that you've heard before. It's a story that may be so familiar that you've taken it for granted. But it is a story unlike any other. And here's the cool thing about it. It's true. Every character, every event, every eyewitness account is presented in the scriptures. True. And one of the many characteristics that this story boasts is just how unique it is. The story of Christmas is so far beyond anything that a human author could have come up with. Even someone like Tim Burton in his alternative universe called Christmas Town in The Nightmare Before Christmas is still no match for the scope and the intricacy of the biblical account of the story of Christmas. And as usual, Hollywood's attempts at epic, when compared with God's version of epic, just simply can't compare. But there's one characteristic of God's story of Christmas that I want to reflect on this morning, and that characteristic is summed up in the word unlikely. Unlikely. So let's go see what I'm talking about. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to start our message this morning by looking at the record of Christ's lineage. And we'll find some very unlikely characters listed in this list that we so often pass by and write off just as historical record keeping. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the first 16 verses together. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Now remember last week we talked about Zechariah. He was a priest in the order, the division of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram. Jehoram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, we're going to look at him in a minute, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, the first unlikely thing about this story that I want us to look at is the unlikelihood of Mary and Joseph's lineage. Last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and their role in this incredible story. Today, we're going to focus on Mary and Joseph. What is God saying to us through his selection of these characters to carry out his rescue plan? Now, I'm sure that if God just looked a little harder... He could have found someone to use in his story that came with a more likely lineage. He could even have realized that this particular lineage, just the way in which it was recorded, 
could certainly have made more sense. This is not a list of exemplary characters. We know about some of the flaws in some of these characters, like David, for example, murdering adulterous David. But the prophets had stated that the Messiah would come from the line of David, and so we're kind of stuck with that guy. But what about guy, a guy like Jeconiah? Well, here's what we know about him from 2 Kings 24. Jeconiah was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. So what happened to that guy? Well, the prophet Jeremiah passed on God's judgment to him. So what Jeremiah wrote, this is what the Lord says, record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Three months he reigns, and he was so evil that God actually cursed him, and his offspring were never allowed to rule in Israel again. But God allowed him to survive long enough to carry on the bloodline that would eventually lead to Mary and Joseph. Evil could not stop God's plan from being fulfilled. And then there's the women. What were their names doing on this list? Now, lineages were common. These lists were common. Uh, that's often how history was passed along. Lineage lists were memorized, and so even this one did not include everybody that was involved. But what was truly different about this lineage record is that there are women on the list. That's not how it was done. Lineage was tracked through the men. But four women appear on this list before it gets to Mary. And what really caught my attention as I studied this this week was the variety of women that were chosen. So let's look briefly at each one of them. Tamar is the first one mentioned. Now here's a likely story to find in the lineage of the Messiah. We know the name Judah. Tamar's introduced as the woman who marries Judah's eldest son, Ur, E-R, Ur. Ur is bad, very bad. He dies at an early age, no children with Tamar. Judah has his second son, Onan, get together with Tamar to create a child to carry on the bloodline. Onan is also bad and sneaky, and he won't give her a child. He dies early on. Judah thinks Tamar is cursed, and he hesitates to offer his youngest son, Shelah, as the next chance for her. Maybe she can wait until he's old enough, but even then, Judah, Judah does not give Shelah to Tamar. So Tamar devises a plan. She hears that Judah is off to take care of some sheep of his, and so she disguises herself and meets him along the way. Her disguise? A prostitute and he requests her services, and the payment would be a goat. But she says that as collateral for her services until he paid, she would hold his staff, his signet ring, and his cord. Three months later, it's revealed that she's pregnant, and she is sentenced to death for prostitution, at which point she brings out the staff, the ring, and the cord, revealing that the owner of these is the one who got her pregnant. Judah pardons her to save face, and the twins, Perez and Zerah, are born, and Perez becomes an ancestor to King David. Rahab is next, this time an actual prostitute, not just one in disguise. She lives in Jericho, and when Joshua sent spies to investigate Jericho for the sake of an overthrow, 
Rahab hides the spies from the guards who were searching for them, saving their lives but going completely against her own people. And in spite of her livelihood, she also earns this place in the scriptures and she becomes the mother of Boaz of the line of David. And then there's Ruth, whose beautiful story of character and her friendship with Naomi has won a spot in our hearts. And I won't go into her story because most of us know it already, but she gave birth to a son who became the father of the father of David. Amazing woman. And finally, there's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Yes, the Uriah that David had killed so that he could take his wife Bathsheba, whom he had seen bathing on a roof, and that's another story we know well. Her second son, Solomon, came into rule after David died, and we know his story as well. These are the women that God has included in this unlikely lineage. What could he possibly be saying by doing this? Well, let me take one brief shot at understanding here because this is so unlikely. But just in the women alone, just these four that we've mentioned, look at what we see. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Rahab and Ruth were Gentiles. They were not Jews. Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba were women of questionable character. Add them with the men into the mix of this unlikely lineage and you have a list comprised of men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, murderers, godly and wicked, and Gentiles. And Jesus came, God with us, to be the savior of all of them. He came to save the world, not just the nation of Israel, not just the righteous, not just those who followed the law, not just those of good character and reputation. All of us in this unlikely lineage points to God's all-inclusive plan of which I am a part. So turn now to the book of Luke. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke 1, 26. Luke 1.26 says this, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, we'll look further in this same passage in just a few minutes, but let's pause here first. Let's look at Nazareth. How unlikely is it that Nazareth would be known as Jesus' hometown? What do we know about Nazareth beyond the fact that this is where Mary and Joseph were from and where Jesus grew up? Well, that alone makes it this holy city, the childhood home of our Lord, right? Must have been this great place in the suburbs with a highly rated school system, very low crime rate, ranked number one in the greatest places to live in the Holy Land. Real estate must have been hard to come by, no pollution, no highway noise or low-flying planes. Jesus played street hockey every afternoon with his friends after school. Well, that may describe my neighborhood growing up, but it didn't describe Jesus' neighborhood the little town of Nazareth. Now, here's what we do know. Nazareth, although referred to in some translations as the city of Nazareth, was not big. Some historians say that it couldn't have been more than 2,000 in population, and more recently, uh, information has it around the 800 mark. Well, sounds nice so far. Nice, quaint little town. Nazareth was just four miles from the Roman garrison at a place called Sepphoris. Now, when the boys in the army got a few days' leave and some cash in their pockets, they headed down the road to Nazareth. Why? And I almost don't want to say this. Cheap wine 
and a well-known red light district. That's the town Mary and Joseph were from and the town that Jesus grew up in. Even as a child, our Savior was not sheltered and protected from the sin in this world. It was right outside his front door. So this made me think a little bit about our perception of Mary's experience. We think about how shocking and scandalous it must have been for this nice little Jewish family in their quiet suburban home in Nazareth. Maybe it wasn't quite like that in Nazareth. Maybe this wasn't so shocking in an environment like this. But that's not it for Nazareth. Listen to Luke 4.29. They, the people of Nazareth, got up, drove him, Jesus, out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Now Jesus had just told the people of Nazareth, his hometown, who he was. And he even spoke prophetically to them by saying that no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And this was their reaction. They tried to kill him. What a place to grow up. Mark writes that Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith in the people of Nazareth. That was the community that Jesus grew up in. How terribly unlikely. Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew, was one of Jesus' disciples. Now Philip had encountered Jesus and he came one day to find Nathaniel and tell him about Jesus. And he said, we have found the one who the prophets wrote about. It is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, you remember Nathaniel's response? He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? What an unlikely place for our Savior to call his hometown. Let's move on in the story. Luke 1, verse 26. We'll read through verse 38 this time. <clears throat> in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel to Nazareth, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this must be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Well, another beautiful but very unlikely encounter in our story. God sends his angel to a 14-year-old girl. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Her name was Mary. She's a virgin. And as crazy as it was to read about Elizabeth getting this kind of news from God, this one's even crazier. What was seemingly impossible for an elderly couple with no children seems pretty simple now in comparison to a teenage girl with no husband. Gabriel greets her with the words, Greetings, you who are highly favored. 
Uh, now, I'm not sure that scaring someone half to death is a great way to express favoritism. Mary's troubled, massive understatement. Gabriel tells her not to be afraid, and then he starts to reveal the plan, which turns terror into confusion pretty quickly. She's going to have a child, a great child. And naturally, she questions the plan. And mercifully, Mary is not treated the same way by Gabriel as Zechariah was. Zechariah responded to Gabriel's news with a question about their age being a factor. He gets struck deaf and mute. Mary questions the angel based on her status as a virgin. She gets a calm explanation. How's that fair? But I guess the old man should have had more faith than a 14-year-old girl. And this leads to the most unlikely thing about Mary being Jesus' mom. It wasn't the fact that she was young and a virgin. It wasn't the fact that she had to know right away the implications of what was happening. It wasn't the fact that she was from a small town with a bad reputation. What is most unlikely to me about Mary is her response to this news. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Imagine yourself a 14-year-old girl and the receiver of such a visit and mission. How likely is it that you're going to respond to this angelic beast with an affirmative, all right, I'm in? No, it would be more likely to me. Get away from me, you stalker freak. But the most unlikely words in the whole story are spoken right here. May it be to me as you have said. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 1 again. Let's read our last passage for the morning. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. We're going to read through verse 25. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary, which was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph became the unlikely dad of Jesus. The carpenter from Nazareth, the father to our Savior, God's son, not very likely. The divine arriving in the care of the simple, the common. There was something about Joseph. He found out that Mary was pregnant. Mary, his betrothed, she had been promised to him as his wife. That was a binding legal agreement. They were considered married already and he finds out she's pregnant. Now, Joseph's a good guy. And some look at his thought of divorcing her quietly, and they criticize. Uh, divorce was the only way to end the betrothal, the engagement. 
That's how binding this agreement was. So upon learning that she had gotten pregnant, he realizes what he has to do. And as harsh as his decision sounds, he was planning to save her by divorcing her quietly before everyone found out that she was pregnant. He was sparing her life. The penalty for her getting pregnant while she was betrothed to him was death by stoning. So he would divorce her quietly and spare her life. But God had other unlikely plans. And he revealed them to Joseph in a dream, not even a face-to-face encounter with an angel, a vision of an angel in a dream. What unlikely obedience for Joseph to say yes to God as well and take Mary home as his wife. How loyal he was to God's plan. And that's, that's it for our interaction with Joseph. What happened to him, we don't know. All we see of Joseph is that he did what God told him to do. No matter how crazy, no matter what the risk, no matter what, Joseph said yes to God. How unlikely. Have you ever marveled at the unlikelihood of the story of Christmas? An old lady and a virgin get pregnant. A teenage girl said yes to a crazy plan. So did a young man named Joseph. It happened in the most unlikely of places, in Nazareth. And God entered the world through a most unlikely lineage. Uh, Next Sunday, our kids are going to remind us of that highly unlikely announcement that was made about the arrival of the King of Kings. Not to a stadium full of dignitaries, but to an empty field occupied only by a few shepherds and their sheep. What's going on here? Is this just a case of bad planning? This is not how you plan an event of such significance. But our God is the God of the unlikely. Believe it or not, he knows what he's doing and he's saying something in the way that he's doing all this. Jesus made this clear throughout his ministry. He had come to save the unlikely. He said it was the sick who needed a doctor, not the well. He came to live among the poor, among the sinners, among the outcast, among the broken, among the downtrodden, among the homeless and the helpless. He even came to live among you and me. The creator of the universe became accessible. That's unlikely. The one with the power to create and destroy anything. The one with the wisdom to rule the galaxies. The one with the love and grace to restore any life at all. He came to share a path with us. He came to dwell among us. So he didn't wait until he grew up to do so. He was born into an unlikely lineage. He was raised in an unlikely neighborhood. He was parented by an unlikely carpenter and his unlikely bride. So let me ask you a question as we close this morning. How unlikely is it that you and I are part of his amazing rescue plan? Boy, do we have our excuses and we have our insecurities and we have our doubts and all those things have made us spectators of God's rescue plan. He's not gonna use me. We reason that that would be so unlikely. We get focused on our baggage, our faults, the things, gifts, and character qualities that we don't have. But when have those things ever stopped God from carrying out his plan? Look at some of the characters that we talked about today. All kinds of excuses, all kinds of shortcomings, all part of God's plan to save the world. The story of Christmas has been passed along to us through God using unlikely people. 
places, and things to bring us his message. Well, guess what? His story's not done. It's not over. Who's going to pass it along if not us? Who's going to live out the next chapter of that story if not us? God's plan is an all-inclusive plan that includes men, women, children, people of all kinds of character, and us. If God used people like the ones we've talked about this morning, then why wouldn't he use me and you? All that separates Mary and Joseph from me and you is one word, three letters, Y-E-S. God doesn't need an angel this time. He doesn't need to give us a vision. He doesn't need to speak through a donkey. He's given us his word. A book filled with a message to us to preach the good news, to love our neighbors, to feed the hungry, to set captives free, to represent heaven here on earth. And all he's waiting for is a yes. He got one from Mary and Joseph. Is he going to get one from me and you? May it be to me as you have said. Are you willing to join Mary in her response this morning? That holy night 2,000 years ago was intended to impact the world for the rest of time. Is the impact that reached you going to end with you? Or are you going to say yes to the unlikely? I'm going to ask the ushers to come now and the worship team to return to the stage. Pray with me. Father, what an amazing gift you have given us in this story. What an amazing testimony to the fact that you are very much aware of every single person on this planet. That there is nobody that your plan cannot reach. There is nobody that you cannot choose to use in your plan. And Lord, as we've looked at some of the very unlikely characters in your story, please help us to recognize the fact that what reached us, your plan of salvation, got to us because one by one by one by one, people said yes when you called them into your plan. And God, I believe that you are calling every single one of us into your plan. That it is not something that just stopped at Christmas and now whoever reads the story has the chance, but there's so much more to this. Give us eyes to see forward, not just backward, but forward to look beyond us and realize that if it's not us, who is it that's going to share this amazing story, this incredible plan with those that will come after us? Father, thank you for the, the treasure of the story of Mary and Joseph, for all that we see in this most unlikely account that just says only God could have done this.
God, help us to say yes to our place in this plan. Give us the faith of Mary and Joseph who, in spite of all of the information that they had, said yes to this unlikely plan and obeyed your calling on their lives. Help us to find that calling and to say yes to it. Help us to, to say yes to every, every command that you've given us in scripture, every, every opportunity that you lead us into by your spirit. Not to sit back and admire what you've done. Make it happen through us as well. We love you, Lord, and we're grateful for this incredible gift that you gave us through your son. Let us be just blown away again this Christmas by this amazing story. We come now to give back to you. We're thankful for all that you've provided us with. And I'm thankful, Lord, for all those who give to make Chapel Hill Church happen. We're trusting you for your provision because throughout history you have provided because you're more than capable. Thank you for being all that we need, for being enough for us. We give with cheerfulness to the work of your kingdom so that this story will continue to be passed along from generation to generation. Thank you for the promise that one day Jesus is coming back to take us home to be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.